0: another How to Fail at College.
1: My name is Carl Beckham. And I'm Paul Crowley. How to Fail at College is a podcast about how to survive college or fail miserably trying. Uh, So today, as we are
0: kind of getting to winding down the semester, terrifyingly enough, we're going to talk a little bit about something that we're all a little worried about lately, following instructions.
1: Yes. um, So We are going to do the best we can not to make this a venting session for the two of us and the frustrations that we have in going through and trying to grade assignments and tests that students turn in and hopefully focus on maybe why some of those things are happening and help you avoid those mistakes.
0: In all fairness, Paul's going to try not to vent.
1: Well, I am a therapist, so I will do the best I can to help Carl, you know. Process my feelings. Yes. Get some cathartic (laughs) release.
0: Uh, So, yeah. Well, let's dig in. Um, So the issues we've been running into, whether it's a worksheet, whether it's uh, attendance, whether it's instructions for a major assignment, is instructions just getting leapt over and things omitted, which were necessary components of the grades themselves.
1: Yeah. um, And so it is a little frustrating, right? When you provide the instructions, you you review it in class, it's listed clearly on the uh, syllabus, or at least we think it's listed clearly on the syllabus, and yet it's still not done correctly. And so we are just left asking ourselves, you know, why? Yeah, it's just, mm, like, we try to take a lot of steps to plan these things out efficiently (laughs) And effectively, so it is clear as possible what you need to do, but it's at what point do you just stop that because you're just holding a person's hand and basically telling them what to write compared to you know still providing at least some semblance of direction? May I start venting if you must proceed? Three
0: emails this morning asking about <laughs> amount of research for final essays three from nine o'clock last night until I got. Let's say 9 o'clock this morning when I got back to my desk.
1: Yeah. Three! And usually I find that the emails and questions that you have about the, the clarify something in the assignment is not so much how can I make sure I'm doing this correctly but in what ways, they don't, they're not very directly when they say this, but in a roundabout way, how can I do this assignment with the least amount of effort and still get a good grade? I,
0: and, oh, I don't know. Personally, my situation when I... Didn't follow instructions because I was an idiot. Um, it was kind of that. It was just trying to work. It was almost deliberate. It was a work around of those instructions where I would just sort of half heartedly do them or mm-hmm. do do the assignment well enough, right? Theoretically, um, and I think that's kind of what what I'm running into. And that I think all three of those emails was a little bit of peer pressure this morning. That just <laughs> frustrated me
1: <laughs> so here's what I'm gonna do on my end is that if you are that type of student I'm gonna help you out with this actually if you want to just do the bare minimum that you can to maximize your grade I'm gonna tell you how to do that because I've actually got it down to a science when I was finishing up my MBA I was just done right I'm still done overwriting all these papers and so what I figured out is that all these teachers are giving me a rubric and so I looked at the rubric okay What's worth the most points? And I maximized it from there. So if spelling and typos and all that kind of stuff was only worth, let's say, 5%, I didn't really worry so much about going back and double checking everything, because I was only gonna lose a maximum of five points. But if I knew that a certain content area was worth 40 points, you better believe that's where I focus a lot of my effort. So it's just a numbers game. Figure out the grade that you need in order to pass that particular assignment (laughs) or the class. (laughs) And then play the numbers.
0: I'm going to have to admit that is terrifyingly cagey and just that it comes from you and not me is terrifying.
1: I think you're probably more upset you didn't think of it (laughs) when when you were in college.
0: I I absolutely am. but I I do see, I very much see your point on that is really just allocating effort um, to, uh, allocating effort to maximize... Possible outcomes. That's wonderful. Uh, My issue. I'm not venting. I'm just telling a story. Um, One of my assignments is an annotated bibliography. Okay. Now it's it's just it's rigid. It's fixed. Everyone, if you're in college, you're probably going to write annotated bibliography at some point.
1: So just to confirm the. An anti-bibliography. They have the regular bibliography, and for each source, they're writing maybe a short snippet to kind of summarize what this particular thing is. Is Absolutely. Dead on.
0: Uh, So you get your traditional MLA citation. Underneath is a quick summary. Mm -hmm. and I ask my students, I give them a list of four or five questions that they answer in that summary, all of which just feed into making a paragraph. One-sentence summary, who the author is, quick breakdown of this aspect, who's the target audience, just to make them analyze the sources. Now, the punchline is the annotated bibliography is for their final essay. So the more time they put into the annotated bibliography in answering the questions they have to answer, the less time they have to put into the final essay.
1: It builds on top of it.
0: Absolutely. Right. I can't get students to answer all five questions.
1: Well, I think this goes down... Okay. Age-old question, right? At, the, at least teachers have, and I'm, I don't think we're going to come up with the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Why do you think students don't follow the instructions?
0: Yeah, because they know them.
1: You have to go a little bit more. <laughs> because they
0: think they know there them. There we go. They, yes. th- they think that they remember, they think they have a didactic memory where they just remember exactly everything that was said when that, pre- when that <laughs> assignment was presented to them. And it's not ever the case. No. Um, my memory is in is impossibly shoddy, so I know anytime I have an assignment or something to work with. Um, for example, we were doing our uh, portfolio recently.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Before presenting it, just going through and making sure I ticked every box as I went through. Covered it good. Covered it good. So. It was For me, I have to do that. I have to have that, whether it's a rubric,
1: and you're allocating
0: effort, or the guidelines and expectations, or just that question sheet
1: to fill in. So at what point do you think students realize they don't remember as much as they thought they did when it comes to completing an assignment?
0: When they get the grade back.
1: When they get the grade back. (laughs) Ah, So I was going to go just a little bit sooner and say two hours before the deadline. 'Cause that's about when they probably started it to begin with.
0: <laughs> You're ever the optimist. Um, <laughs> but the other one, what I it's always the conversations with their peers when I first when I see it. If they have an assignment due and it's oh did you and it's that moment of <gasps> realization, uh whether it's uploading sources online, no I didn't do that. I printed it out, can I just them to you? Well, we talked about that, but you don't remember that. <laughs> um and it it is that. It's one student following instructions and then you can see that kind of ripple effect through the students who didn't actually look at the rubric. Well,
1: what can we do to actually get them to look at the assignment guidelines or the, the classic struggle of just reading the dang syllabus? <laughs> uh,
0: I do nearly an entire class period on the syllabus and here we are two weeks out from the end and I had to explain to a student that because I haven't seen him since before spring break that's four absences there on top of his four absences before spring break that I had to drop him
1: he's gone and he
0: informed me that he thought he had six absences so how do we give it I don't know I do everything I can to reiterate and go over even on my final uh, my final essay in English 101 they have a checklist that is a requirement of the assignment where mm-hmm. they have to actually go through and double check. Did you use, did you make sure to not use second person? Yep. Did you make sure to get any anecdotal evidence approved? Yep. And still, sometimes I don't get the required checklist.
1: Yeah. And I think students on their end, my impression is a lot of times they get frustrated from teachers continually focusing on the syllabus mm-hmm. and reading the syllabus. They just don't get it. You see it on, on Twitter all the time. I found one. Tweet said, College is like, hey professor, how you doing today? <laughs> check the syllabus before you come and ask me any questions. Right? And that's kind of the, the response. Before they can finish, stop, read the syllabus, then come talk to me. And it's it's sad because that's a lot of times that is the response. Like, did you check the syllabus? Mm-hmm. It's in there. I had a student, he said he emailed me or tried to email me about uh, his assignment. I was like, okay, I didn't receive an email from you. Where did you email me? And it was in our online learning platform, D2L. And I was like, okay, well, do you remember when we talked about it on the first day that I don't check that? And there's a reason those messages don't go through. And that if we look on the syllabus on the very first page, it clearly states you need to send it to me at this email. And that's the one I'm going to respond to. And yeah, he didn't do too hot on that assignment, not in small part because of that mishap, and he just didn't follow the instructions
0: <laughs> now the 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 email is one of those where it's, I inform my students, you know, make sure about noon on Friday there's going to be a gap in my response time, and yet it's always Saturday evening, Sunday night that I'm getting Yes. Yep. the desperate emails for consistent. my 8am Monday morning class
1: consistent absolutely consistent now I came across this quote um, earlier today and it's actually completely unrelated to what um, we're doing I just happened to see it I wrote it down because I liked it but I think it actually does apply to what we're talking about that's from Roger Lewin I'm not sure who that is but I like the quote it says too often we give children answers to remember rather than problems to solve hmm. and so as I'm thinking about um, this when we're talking, you know, we're giving them the the answers as far as this is what you need to do, step by step. We're holding your hand, and maybe that's not the best thing. We we provide the direction because we still got to do that. But rather than when you come up to this issue of hey, I don't know what to do. I don't remember what was said. Maybe helping them brainstorm prior to that moment and how they can solve their problem where can they find the answer apart from that desperate email to the professor at 2 in the morning that we're not going to see until Monday and it's going to be too late what do you, you think about that
0: you telling me to say check your syllabus
1: no I'm saying maybe <laughs> we as instructors instructors should do something different moving forward in that maybe part of the reviewing that syllabus on day one and expectations of the course is kind of saying hey here are ways to problem solve issues you may have throughout the course
0: hmm.
1: what do you think about that
0: I don't know I feel like in many ways that's what I'm doing is okay. here here is the toolbox yep. filled with tools yeah use it yeah and it's that if the toolbox sits there never opened
1: yeah that's true. I think I they forgot where the toolbox is at. <laughs> OK, well, here's, a, here's another question I have for you then. When we look at all these assignments or these tests and everything that we're going to have for students to do, right? why do we give them so many guidelines to begin with as far as trying to take them as best we can by the hand and almost practically writing this thing for them?
0: We want success we want them to succeed, we want them to do as best as they possibly can, Uh, but there's also, we have our expectations and giving those, giving those directions is kind of a push, a drive towards meeting of those expectations, especially as instructors. Uh, Making, make sure you always do the X, Y, and Z. Okay. Our lessons structure towards it, our instructions on all of our assignments do the same. So I think it really is just learning outcomes, and success for our students that we give those.
1: I definitely think we want to have clear expectations for them so there, there is no misunderstanding of what needs to happen, what they need to do in order to be successful in a class. That's why a lot of times we provide those guidelines. We use rubrics. They can see where their grade is going to come from. But at the same time, I think we also do it is because they expect it. They don't like those open-ended assignments where it's just, <laughs> you know, here's a problem. Solve it. They discuss it.
0: That's true. That is very, 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 very true. The open-ended typically are the ones that I find are met with the most resistance.
1: Yeah. Even though that might be the most beneficial in the end. For them.
0: Hmm. Paul, I never thought of it that way. But that's very... That's incredibly true. Yeah, I have... In my 102, I have a very open-ended assignment, which is very fluid, and it's just up to, it's critical thought, it's, mm-hmm. it's, and it's incredibly fun. I say that because I do the assignment every semester, mm-hmm. but students typically, when given the choice of open-ended cultural assessment essay versus analyze two short stories and figure out the theme that they share in common, run towards the surety of the theme instead of the very, very open cultural awareness. Huh.
1: So I wonder if there's a way that we can encourage something like that, like maybe in how we're developing our rubrics, in that, hey, because we again, we assign the points, we determine where the grade's going to be from, and that if it is something maybe a little more open-ended, put the majority of the points towards that, but have it clear in the criteria that You know, you don't have to rely on this rigid structure. Mm. You know, you have to present this idea, make sure kind of these components are there, but not Mm. detailing exactly how to do it while still being clear enough. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: (laughs) being open-ended in our instructions for open-ended assignments. Yes, with while still fixed with our bullet points of
1: needs <laughs> exactly that, that, that happy <laughs> medium that's impossible to get to
0: <laughs> that's terrifying yes
1: <laughs> it is but I mean I think when we look at it like I look back on my college experience and then the let's just say experiences that we have with students and trying to help them as some advice that I would give and you can kind of see what you would think of it or if there's any advice that you would give Okay, So one thing I would look at is one, to please read the syllabus. we got to put that out there. Please read the syllabus. But then the key part of that is asking questions if there's something that you don't understand about the assignment. And the sooner you can ask that question, the better. Okay, so if it's in class and you're talking about the assignment, raise your hand. Don't wait on someone else to think that maybe hopefully they'll ask the question. Or if it came down to it, email the professor if you don't feel like asking them in person you know we'll respond to the emails as soon as we can that's why it is better to ask them sooner rather than later okay but sometimes when we have these assignments it is very clear on certain things like if I say only a word document is going to be accepted and you send a PDF well I have to thank you because you made my grading very easy you got a zero move on to the next student you know so I'm I'm, I hate to be in that way because I want them to succeed, but at the same time, they need to follow the instructions.
0: Yeah, here's one for you.
1: Okay.
0: How do we make sure our students know that they don't know?
1: Make sure they don't know what?
0: Well, how do we make sure that our students know that mm-hmm. they don't know what they think that they know?
1: <sighs> Is this one of those Google interview questions? It's, it's,
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> I cannot for the life of me remember the it's not a syndrome it, I think it's a, some form of complex but this is the it's not illusory superiority but I think that's one of them but it's the awareness of lack of knowledge
1: well what what suggestions would you have for students as they go through and um, do these assignments and how they can better do them be successful
0: the o- the only thing I can say is questions 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 and it's it comes back to I think the best advice we give every week on this thing is go to office hours. Mm -hmm. If there's ever some, if you're ever not sure, go to office hours. But the questions is the best way. Ask questions about the syllabus. Ask for clarification. When you are going over assignments in class, make it a point to find something you don't understand or something Mm -hmm. that's worded weirdly and ask because that's going to cement something in your memory a little bit more clearly. Make sure you have access to it. Make sure you know where it is. That's it, man. Just ask.
1: And if all else fails, look at the rubric and play the numbers. (laughs) Right? So I'm going to read this tweet that I found on Twitter that I thought was great. It says, if you want to see college students cry, put them in a small room for seven hours with a group project that has vague instructions. (laughs) And I think we all can Imagine what that experience would be like.
0: That sounds absolutely miserable.
1: <laughs> it does. Okay. All right. Well, that wraps up the show for this week. Thank you for listening. And we appreciate any and all feedback and questions you may have. So please reach out to us at failatcollege at gmail.com.
0: On Instagram, we're at failatcollege. And on Twitter, you can find Paul, who is at PH Crowley. If you like the show... Help us out with a great review and five-star rating in iTunes. This really helps other people find out about us. Also, be sure to subscribe to the show in whatever podcast client that you
1: use. Uh, Carl and I produce and edit the show ourselves, and our theme music is by Broke for Free. The outro music is from Chris Dack. and until next time, we are How to Fail the College. Thank you for listening. Uh, That effect I was talking about, which I just Googled when I dropped my phone because I'm a
0: jerk, I'm on Wikipedia, so I'm doing everything I tell my students not to do, is the Dunning-Kruger effect.
1: I have heard of that. Yeah. Cognitive Um,
0: bias. It's kind of offensive. Ah! Illusory superiority. Look at that buzzword I used.
1: Okay. So, you can go look that up, but Carl, (laughs) you were supposed to just say thank you at that point. Sorry. But that is a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for listening, folks. Have a wonderful day. All right. there is one more tweet that I found that I wanted to share that thought it was um, humorous it says if you want to see college students cry I'll start again since Carl dropped his phone shut up <laughs>